Hare Krishna. Om Ajnati Manandasya Kinanana Salakya Shakshur Militam Yinatasmai Shri Guru um, we continue our discussion on the great treasury of Western thought of Mortimer J. Adler and Charles Vendor. Mm-hmm. Just a moment, please. Emotion, mind, I did knowledge. Achilles, the enormous strength of the ocean with its deep running waters, ocean from whom all rivers are, and the entire sea and all springs and all deep wells have their waters of him. Yet even ocean is afraid of the lightning of great Zeus and the dangerous thunderbolt when it breaks from the sky crashing. Homer, Iliad, 2100. 95. Just about. Everyone has the experience of of the vastness of the ocean, of the greatness of a mountain. And when we are in in the majesty of nature, um, when we are manifested with the greatness of the ocean, we are dwarfed. Um, And yet, although the ocean is the source of so much water and so on and the water evaporates and comes uh, and that water comes down again as clouds and then it is um, causing causing rivers to flow back into the ocean so in this way the the ocean is is the source and the repository of, of water and, and vast and great. But then it Homer is reminding us of, of Zeus, right, who with a thunderbolt can also uh, control the, um, the ocean. 
So in the Vedic culture, um, Zeus is known as Indra. And Indra, the one who, uh, sorry, so Indra, who has that thunderbolt weapon, uh, which is the, uh, it is a most powerful, a most powerful weapon. Um, of course, there are more powerful weapons, the weapons of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, uh, which is the Sudarshan Chakra. Uh, that is yet another thing. But uh, certainly, uh, we see the power of, uh, yes, of, uh, of the, of the, of the demigods. So the power of the demigods is that they can rule over material nature. So in the Greek, uh, what is known as mythology, right? but in the Greek understanding of reality, such personalities are existing, uh, like Zeus or like, or known as it. Indra in India, who is controlling the forces of nature. So this concept of these various uh, gods clearly uh, goes back to an earlier era and an earlier era of common knowledge. We're seeing uh, that uh, many of the gods that are uh, are, are, are part of the Greek domain, are, have their counterparts in the Indian domain. So in an old, in an, in an ancient, more ancient than Greek culture worldview, um, there was that concept that there were so many deities that were controlling the forces of nature. Uh, and to them, uh, um, Nature, which is for us overpowering, is easily controlled. Still above, uh, above such personalities, not involved, is with the execution of universal affairs and management of universal affairs, is Lord Brahma. And Lord Brahma, he is the grandfather, the Pita Maha, the grandfather in the universe who is is above the uh, workings of the universe, but he is the original creator. And yet still greater than Lord Brahma is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So in this way, there are different levels of deities and the Supreme Personality of Godhead then is the uh, all powerful and uh, original source of, of everything who, uh, and everything is going on by his will. He is the cause of all causes, and yet he is not directly involved in administrating the universe. Uh, Srila Prabhupada spoke about his, uh, his, his god-brother, a, a German god-brother who became a sannyasi named Sadananda Swami. 
And Sadananda Swami was a, uh, was a professor. And uh, he came to, uh, to meet Srila Bhakti Siddhanta. He was brought by uh, Bon Maharaj and he became an initiated disciple of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta and he took sannyas and Sadananda uh, grasped the philosophy in, uh, in great, great detail. Um, um, anyway, so uh, Sadananda, when he first came to India, he went to visit the various deities in the temples, but he immediately, upon seeing Krishna, he concluded that here is the Supreme Lord. Uh, because all the other deities were carrying weapons, but Krishna was carrying a flute. And he's saying the others, they are at work, but Krishna himself He's enjoying. That is God. So yes, this is the first principle of divinity, of the Supreme Lord. Bhuktaram yagitapasam. He is Bhuktaram. He is the original enjoyer. Yes, the supreme enjoyer. So that is very nice. So in this way, Krishna is the uh, supreme enjoyer. And that is the one position that is reserved for the Supreme Lord. We are actually enjoyed. We are in the category of being enjoyed. Therefore, it is, and then we will enjoy. If we try to enjoy independently, we will not enjoy. But when we are in the role as a servant, of making Krishna enjoy, then we will enjoy. Uh, and therefore, we are first constitutionally by nature, uh, not the enjoyer, but to be enjoyed. And this is the fundamental difficulty, that we are playing the enjoyer. Mm. So uh, let us uh, look at some topics. And uh, in the, uh, and let us look at some t uh, topics that are important uh, for the Vaishnavas. So I'll put in tolerance. Mm. Okay, so the first thing is. Age generally makes men more tolerant. Youth is always discontented. The tolerance of age is the result of the ripeness of a judgment with which not merely as the result of indifference is satisfied even with what is inferior, but more deeply taught by the grave experience of life have been led to perceive the substantial solid worth of the object in question. The insight then to which in Contradistinction from those ideas philosophy is to lead us is that the world 
is as it ought to be, that the truly good, the universal divine reason, is not a mere extraction, but a vital principle capable of realizing itself. Hegel, Philosophy of History, Introduction. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Hegel speaks about uh, how tolerance develops uh, with age. Uh, um, because youth, in youth we are idealistic and we want, uh, we, we, in youth we live with a dream and we want to realize the dream. But as we're getting older, we realize that that is not so feasible. So we begin to become uh, more realistic and say, okay, I'll settle for whatever, uh, whatever good I can get and I tolerate what is not so good. So we learn over, over time to tolerate. That is Hegel's point. And yes, it's old. That addresses the fact that there are uh, certain dynamics, certain dynamics that uh, are designed to, um, to change us and to uh, ripen us over time, like a fruit growing on the tree. And that in our ripeness, uh, tolerance becomes more part of our life. So that is, uh, yeah, that is, that makes sense. Uh, and then, okay, we get philosophical and philosophies to lead us is that the real world is as it ought to be. That a truly good universal divine reason is not a mere abstraction, but a vital principle capable of realizing itself. Yes, okay, the world is as it ought to be. Uh, that is there if we accept that everything is going on by a divine arrangement. And as the world is as it ought to be, the world is a response to, uh, to the behavior of, of living beings. Um, that the nature of the world is that it's governed by, by the law of karma. And the living beings, they are creating that karma. And, and so, and particularly human beings play a major role in that because in the human form of life, one is actually accountable. Animals are not creating new karma. Animals are simply experiencing karma from previous lives because animals are not held responsible. When an animal kills, then it's not that the animal is, uh, is accountable, but karmically speaking. But a human being is karmically accountable creates karmic reactions and so on. So in this way, every, every living being builds up karma. And that karmic, uh, that karma is what influences 
the environment that we are in. The material world in the first place is, is a facility for living beings who turn away from the Supreme Lord. And then how that material world will manifest itself um, as, as favorable conditions of nature, unfavorable conditions of nature, that is all karma bound. So in this way, the world is as it ought to be. And earthquakes and cyclones and floods and fires and viruses and whatever else is all considered then to be as it ought to be, part of a divine plan. So only a devotee, uh, only a devotee can fully accept it. A philosopher may, may have that kind of idea, but still it is difficult. One can only uh, truly appreciate that the world is as it ought to be when there's love involved. Um, so when there's love for the Supreme Lord, then one fully, uh, one can fully accept with love in the heart that the world is as it ought to be. Mm. Among the Greeks, we feel ourselves immediately at home for we are in the region of spirit and through the origin of the, na of the nation as also its philological peculiarities may be traced further, even to India, the proper emergence, the true palingenesis of spirit must be looked for in, Greek, for in Greece first. At an earlier stage, I compared the Greek world with the period of ad adolescence, not indeed in that sense that youth bears within its a serious anticipative destiny and consequently by the very conditions of its culture urges towards an ulterior aim, presenting thus inherently incomplete and immature form and being their most defective when it would deem itself perfect. But in that sense, that youth does not present uh, the activity of work, does not yet exert itself for a definite intelligent aim, but rather exhibits a concrete freshness of the soul's life. It appears in the sensuous actual world as incarnate spirit and spiritualized sense in a unity which own, owed its own origin to spirit. Greece presents to us the cheerful aspect of youthful freshness or spiritual vitality. It is here first that advancing spirit makes itself the content of its volition and its knowledge, but in such a way that state, family, law, religion are at the same time objects aimed at by individuality while the latter's individuality only in virtue of those aims. The man, on the other hand, devotes his life to labor for an objective aim, which he pursues consistently, even at the cost of his individuality. Hegel, Philosophy of History, to introduction. Okay, so, um, so here Hegel um, is speaking about uh, Greece, and he's explaining that Greece particularly is appealing to us because the focus of Greece is spirit and how philosophy in Greek philosophy is focused as spirit, but then uh, also deals with uh, material aspects of culture, which are uh, supporting 
that culture, uh, which which has as its primary objective uh, a spiritual goal. Uh, he says the Greek culture then and ideas are to be traced back to earlier Indian culture. So I'm very happy with that statement of, of Hegel uh, because that is also uh, the way uh, the Vedic literatures are seeing it. Uh, the Vedic literatures see that uh, the Greek culture is basically uh, having its roots in India and Kshatriyas who came out of India uh, under the pressure of Parashuram uh, who drove out the Kshatriyas who were no longer dedicated to the Brahmanas from, from India and, uh, and they settled in, uh, in regions, outlying regions like Greece. And uh, so the Greek culture indeed has, has roots in Indian culture. And uh, so we agree with Hegel in this, in this, uh, this aspect, that this is very nice. Um, then he says that the Greek culture is a youthful spirit uh, because the Greek culture was trying to understand through an ascending process. Uh, the Greek culture is Vedic culture or has its roots in Vedic culture that became disconnected from the Brahmanas. The Brahmanas represent knowledge of the scripture and represented the uh, descending process where knowledge descends from the Supreme Lord into scriptures and then represents from Brahman, Brahmanas, those who are dedicated to that, that scripture and teaching it and living it and then disseminating it in society at large. But the... Uh, um, yeah, the uh, um, Greek culture, because of being disconnected from Brahmanism or from the guidance of the Brahmanas, um, started ascending culture where man, on the strength of his own intelligence, was trying to understand uh, the reality. But still they brought many things with them, like accepting... Uh, uh, divinity and accepting the soul and addressing it. Uh, so uh, the soul was not in question. Uh, the soul was still considered a fact. So some elements of the descending culture remained. But then philosophy is basically an ascending culture where man on the strength of his own reason and intellect is trying to ascertain what is truth and what is reality and uh, and how and also how nature works. Um, Greek philosophers would preoccupy themselves with trying to explain the phenomena of nature. We find a description of one Greek philosopher who developed an idea that we were living 
and earth on the inside of a copper ball. And that outside that ball, there was a fire and that there were uh, holes in the ball. And that, mm -hmm. and that then, and, and that through these holes, uh, some of the light of the fire was visible. Then the ball was rotating. So in this way, day and night, and we would sometimes see through one hole, uh, a big hole, we'd see then some of the fire, and that would be the sun. But then as it rotated, we would no longer see through the big hole, we'd see through the smaller holes, and that would be the stars. So an attempt uh, to give a scientific explanation, uh, completely aligned with our modern approach, which is the ascending approach. Uh, develop a theory which could explain the phenomena that we're experiencing and uh, try and ascertain the truth of that theory by collecting uh, as much evidence as we, as we possibly can. Right? That is the ascending process of gaining knowledge. The descending process of gaining knowledge is knowledge that has been revealed uh, in scripture and then is taught and explained by, uh, by teachers who are strictly living by the scriptures and, and, and dedicate their lives to studying the scriptures and teaching the scriptures. Yeah. <laughs> a boy is in the parlor what the pit is in the playhouse independent irresponsible looking out from his corner on such people and facts as pass by he tries and sentences them on their merits in the swift summary ways of of boys as good, bad, and interesting, silly, anecdote, and troublesome. He cumbers himself never about consequences, about interest. He gives an independent, genuine verdict. You must court him. He does not court you. But the man is, as it were, clapped into jail by his consciousness. As soon as he has once acted or spoken, uh, with that he is a committed person. Uh, watched by the sympathy or the hatred of hundreds whose affections must now enter into his account. Emerson, self-reliance. Uh. All right, so Emerson is speaking about uh, a boy who is... Um, um, who is quickly judging things around him and decides what is good, bad, interesting, silly, eloquent, troublesome. Uh, uh, but he is not... Uh, he's, he's experimenting, he's discovering, and therefore he uh, is following 
his what attracts him. Yes. So he may not uh, he may be restless, he may make many changes. It said, but a man is like as if it were clapped into jail by his consciousness. He has made many choices. So the man is locked in a jail because of his choices. Uh, in youth, ah, no commitments, no. Uh, it's youth is just, uh, the boy is free to explore and to check and just follow his impulses, whatever he likes. The uh, elder person has decided long ago uh, what is good, what is uh, what is favorable, and he has made commitments and choices. And with that, he's lost that uh, creativeness that a boy has. He's lost that... Uh, that experimenting spirit and he begins to and he becomes locked in a jail of of routine actions uh, of which he knows they will produce good results and so and he's bought into this and now he's teaching it oh my son uh, this is the way this is the way it's done and the son is is trying something else uh, is trying something different mm. so this uh, so the boy is is refreshing and experimenting and the elderly man the boy is adventurous uh, the elderly man is is looking for security stability and so on. And in this way, uh, the boy is carrying the spirit of life, the spirit of embracing the old, the world. The old man is, is getting disengaged from the world. In this way, we can see uh, natural dynamics. It is time to be old, to take in sail the gods of bounds who sets to seas ashore, came to me in his fatal rounds and said no more, no farther shoot thy broad ambitious branches and thy root. Fancy departs, no more invent, contract by firmament to compass of a tent. Emerson, Terminus. Yeah. So, uh, yes, now, uh, so as, as in Vedic culture, we say everything comes into being, uh, then it grows, then it begins to flourish, then it begins to produce byproducts, then it starts to dwindle, and then it ceases to exist. So, these sat-avikar, uh, or these kind of the dynamics of going up, flourishing, giving of byproducts and dwindling and then ceasing to exist, coming to a peak and then coming back down, is found in the work of uh, of, uh, of of Emerson. Yeah. 
Yes. <clears throat> Practically, the old have no very important advice to give the young. Their own experience has been so partial, and their life has been such miserable failures for private reasons, as they must believe. And it may be that they have some faith left which belies that experience, and they are only less young than they were. I've lived some 30 years on this planet, and I've yet to hear the first syllable of valuable or even earnest advice from my seniors. They have told me nothing and probably cannot tell me anything to the purpose. Here is life, an experiment to a great extent, untried by me, but it does not avail me that they have tried it. Toro, Walden, Economy. <clears throat> so Walden expresses the, uh, the new spirit. And it is describing life like a journey of discovery. Huh? Here is life, an experiment to a great extent, untried by me. And this is the modern mentality. Huh? Life, the great experiment. And it is, it is your life. It is my life. And, and we have to um, live that experiment according to our inspiration and our heart. Uh, as, and, and that is the spirit of the time. Uh, I, th I sang in, uh, in, the, in the 60s. It's my life and I do what I want. It's, I sang it along with Eric Burden and the animals. Um, so it's very interesting. We can see why people want to do what they want. Because it's my opportunity, my great experiment. And what can anybody say to, to me about that? It's my chance. I want my freedom from, the, from this old, old generation that is trying to lock me in, in a prescribed way and say, <clears throat> you must live like this, you must live like that. But are they a success? <clears throat> hmm? My father, uh, he, from when I was a child, my father would uh, come home at a certain time. So we were playing in the house and, uh, as, and doing what children uh, do, and we made lots of noise. So my mother said, shh, quiet, quiet. Your father is coming. And he has a headache. Then my father would come home and indeed he would have a headache. So I was amazed, how does my mother know that my father has a headache? But she knew because my father always had a headache when he would come home. She knew that. So I thought she must have some mystical 
some mystic power that she knows, right? Otherwise, how could she know? But he, uh, he was always having a headache. Then later, uh, I was supposed to live a life like him. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, why would I do that? Then I will also have a headache. Um, so I was not convinced. So I was very determined that I would go another direction. Uh, and that I would follow the direction of my heart. And I sang a song. Going away is a part of my life, the life I've got to live. I've got to be the one I am. I've got something to give. So in this way, I sang my song my father didn't like. Uh, and I left home on the great adventure, searching, searching. And I wrote, I am nothing but a stranger, always around. I'm nothing but a seeker for what I've never found. Yes. So yes, I was seeking for, uh, for what is, what is the truth. So this is, um, and I, I was ready for the great experiment called life and live it to the fullest extent. Of course, this is what happens when the process, the descending process of knowledge breaks down. When the, uh, the knowledge coming from the Supreme Lord manifests in scripture and then lived by saintly personalities who actually thoroughly realize the conclusions of these scriptures and then teach it, uh, and then teach it to others. So with realization, then that knowledge carries a lot of meaning and then it becomes very, uh, very convincing. But if the elder generation is still carrying uh, some tradition left over from a descending process, but, and they have a little knowledge of it, not complete, and no realization, then it becomes dry and stale. And people begin to disconnect from that ancient culture and tradition that has descended over the ages. Uh, it started from the Supreme Lord, but because there's no more realization by the people who teach it and less knowledge, then the next generation is not inclined to follow. And they want to live their life uh, yeah, as the great experiment and experience life to its fullest, according from the heart. So this is where India is going now. Then, then there is the next stage where even the tradition of the descending process is, is gone, right? is virtually gone, because then we have a few generations who have just lived a life uh, according to their own inspiration and living it to the fullest. And scripture and ancient tradition is something that's now like in the background and slowly and sort of remote and, and old fashioned and uh, how relevant 
to today. So all of this um, considered, yes, we are appreciating uh, how when we are giving up the descending knowledge, which comes to us through realization as a gift, uh, without realization, we are going down, then we are beginning to rely on our own intelligence and we begin to follow the ascending approach. And we're looking, let me try this, let me try that experiment. And everything becomes an experiment and based on our own impulses and so on. But of course, uh, we are not successful. Uh, we sometimes we get moments of, of success and enjoyment and so on, but then we are not fulfilled. Uh, we're not fulfilled. So this approach to life will not fulfill. And that is the nature of the Western world. Um, so much wealth, so much facility, but not fulfilled. And India is now also leaving the descending knowledge and is now also start this way of life, of the great experiment. And India will also not be fulfilled in this way of life. That is actually how it works. So, but we see Thoreau is completely writing from that uh, that materialistic approach. By saying practically the old have no very important advice to give the young, their own experience has been so partial and their lives have been such miserable failures for private reasons as they must believe. Yeah, well, I would say that's exactly what I thought of my father. He had failed. He had failed in life. And actually, before he left his body, he even in his final days, he even admitted it, um, that he had failed. What to do? Because he had become totally disconnected from the absolute truth, which is descending from the Supreme Lord. Plato also speaks in the Republic about absolute truth versus uh, relative truth. And ultimately, it is through absolute truth only uh, that which descends through us that we can be perfect and that happiness can be found. So yes, the experiment that Thoreau was describing in Walden we are ready to abandon that experiment and say, it doesn't work if we are just treating life like a great experiment or an adventure. Uh, we will not get there. We will actually... Um, so in the 60s, there was a generation of young people who distanced themselves strongly from tradition and indeed, we're trying to live that life uh, of experiment and living life to the fullest. Uh, but 
they never found fulfillment uh, in that. Some uh, who, had, who had good fortune came to real spiritual life. And then people were amazed. How could you, who was yesterday so free and so much uh, uh, not willing to make any commitment to anything and just following your life uh, according to your free impulses and not accept authority. Uh, how can you now make so much commitment? We could not accept the authority of those who had, had failed in their own life. But we could accept the authority of those who were following the authority of the Lord, then realizing that authority of the Lord within themselves and emanating amazing qualities and an amazing level of fulfillment and happiness. Yes, to such personalities, we could submit. Uh, we could submit and trade in our independence and say, all right, we will follow you. And so we bow down at the feet of Sri Guru, the embodiment of the knowledge descending from the Supreme Lord, both in word and both in realization. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Um, one thing is that um, tomorrow I am going to travel. I'm looking forward uh, because when we travel, travel means it is a, uh, a new, uh, we go into a new situation. It is refreshing. It is like uh, making a new start. Staying in one place is, is being uh, in the same routine. So I'm happy to refresh. So tomorrow I will travel by car because it's better under the circumstances, but it's a long drive. So I'll be pretty much driving the whole day um, to, uh, to the south of Germany and to the lotus feet of Lord Nishingadev. And therefore, tomorrow I will not, not stream. It's not eight hours, Tirumala. It is, with the fast car, it's eight hours. But with the van, it's more like 10. And we're going with the van. So thank you very much. And uh, I'll, uh, my next lecture will be the day after tomorrow and I will uh, uh, I'll give you the darshan of Lord Nishimidev Hare Krishna